All right, welcome back to episode 51 of Off the Wall Podcast. I'm Bobby, joined by Matt Mello. It's joining us for the uh, interview that we have. Surprise, we have an interview. Brian Miles, um, mental performance coach for the uh, Cleveland Guardians. He's going to join us later on in the episode. But right now, it's just me and you, Matt. And we're going to talk about the awards because... If you didn't hear, all the awards have been announced, and you know Aaron Judge, AL MVP. I mean, hey, we're looking at the two guys, part of uh, around the diamond. You could throw Kyle in here; he has an MVP. But hey, we each have an MVP in the last season, last two yeah. seasons. There you go. Um, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't mind that the Phillies didn't win any because, yeah, I feel good about uh, um, going to the World Series. So yeah, that's pretty good too. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Uh, <clears throat> pretty good season. And who knows if Bryce wasn't hurt, maybe he would have been in the conversation too. There's a good chance he would have been. But um, yeah. yeah. So we'll go. Let's recap the awards real quick before we get into the interview. Um, I mean, we're talking about it. None of these were really surprising. I think they were all expected. Yeah, I mean, honestly. Maybe the only one is NL Rookie of the Year. Yep. <clears throat> I mean, Strider, there was a possibility he could have won, but Michael Harris makes sense too. Yeah. Yeah, like nothing was – like I wasn't upset about any of the picks or anything like that. Um, Like you said, I mean, the Cy Youngs, to skip ahead, they're both unanimous. MVPs were almost unanimous. Um. So let's start off. We'll talk about Rookie of the Years. Like you said, Michael Harris when winning NL Rookie of the Year. Like you said, him or Strider would, could have won it, and you'd be like, all right, yeah, that guy deserves it. They both had insane years for the Braves. Yeah, and to think that the top two uh, vote-getters on the same team, and like we said, it could have been either way. Could have been either one of them, and nobody would have been surprised. I mean, it just adds to the whole lore of the Braves. I mean, sure, they got knocked out by my Phillies in the playoffs, but they are going to be around for a long time, uh, a threat in the National League. So, yeah, I mean, hats off to this guy. He never played in AAA at all. He went straight from AA right to the major leagues, one rookie of the year. Not incredible. looking forward to facing him in the division, <laughs> but yeah, it's an incredible feat. Yeah, that's insane. And just again, like the fact that those two guys were from the same team, played at such an elite level the entire season. It's incredible, but shout out to Michael Harris. And then, of course, the American League. We all saw this coming. Julio Rodriguez. I think he's a superstar. Yeah. I mean... It's exactly what Major League Baseball needs is like another guy like this. He fits in with the Vladdy Jr., the Acuna, uh, the Tatis, if you want to throw his name in there still, I would. Uh, Juan Soto. I mean, he fits all of them, just the bringing the big energy, and he's got the bat to back it up too. So Yeah, the next wave of like superstars that are going to be around for a very, very long time, for the next decade plus. 
and he came a lot like I would say most baseball fans knew who he was but when he his home run derby performance this year kind of put him like everyone noted everyone knew who Julio Rodriguez was after that home run derby and ever since then he was just on everyone's radar and obviously deservedly winning the AL rookie of the year yeah and they think that this is the Mariners second rookie of the year in the last I don't know when Kyle Lewis won 2020 and yeah I I mean he got just got traded yeah I was just gonna say that but I mean, and they had Jared Kalenic, or they have Jared Kalenic too. And to think yeah. that he was like the top prospect in Major League Baseball, and he never exactly panned out for them yet. But I mean, Mariners are gonna be a fun team too. So yeah, yeah. props to J Rod. Exactly the J Rod show. But yeah, that would be a good jersey to get. I might get his jersey. That's a nice. Which cool. which color are you going? I mean, the Mariner, they have good jerseys. Both, like, the navy blue is a classic. Or, like, the the throwback, like, teal or the greenish-looking one. Yeah. That's, that's so nice, too. I might have to that hop on that. That would be the one. I'd like that or even, like, the basic white one. Yeah. Just the white with the navy blue and that green. They all pair together so well, so that's clean. Yeah, that might need to happen after we end this. I might, <laughs> I might get a jersey, but um, yeah. Shout out to J Rod and Michael Harris. Um, let's go manager of the year next. I guess talk sure. about that. Um, this might be a sore subject for you since you know Rob Thompson probably should have won, could have won it, and some a lot of people say that could say that, but um, it was Buck Walter. Out of the National League, I don't. I hate mean that. Yeah, it's it's a regular season award, right? And he was one of the best. He managed one of the best regular season teams. So, I mean, say what you want about the Mets, they were able to turn around from last season when they blew the lead. He came in, and like the whole idea was, hey, this is somewhat the same team, the same players, but we're bringing in a new guy a new presence in the clubhouse in the whole organization to lead these guys to be who we thought they were going to be last year. And he did that. Yeah, exactly. That's fair. Um, But for, and of course, (laughs) I wish Melo could say something about this. I'm sure he wasn't too happy about uh, Dave Roberts finishing in second. Okay. (laughs) I, I understand his frustration, honestly, yeah. because like like he would say right now, he would be saying about how the Dodgers blow it in the playoffs every year and he makes these terrible managing decisions. And how much do you really have to do when you're uh, managing a team that is that loaded? Exactly. I mean, you still got you still got decisions to make, but st- it's a lot easier when you're making them with uh, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and uh, just just Trey Turner. Exactly. So, I mean, hey, they're like it was the one of the regular best seasons team. all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The best regular, one of the the best Dodger regular season of all time. So, like, it's hard to argue against the hundred and however many wins they had, hundred eleven, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, it's just funny though because you see all of <laughs> everyone, like when they announced the finalist, 
and Dave Roberts. That was all the comments. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like Brian Snicker, you could make a good case for him too. Yeah. In uh in the Braves. And then who's who was fourth? Um I'm blanking on that because I know, like you said, Rob Thompson finished fifth. I'm trying to remember who would have finished fourth. Um oh Ali Ali Marmol for the yeah. Cardinals. Yes. That's who it is. So they're all good all good managers. I mean Thompson, maybe he should have got fourth. He kind of really turned that team around in the middle of the season, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And Bob Melvin finished in sixth too. He turned the basically turned the Padres like around almost to like they missed the playoffs. He, he did yeah, he did what Buck Showwater did. Right. Except on a little bit less yeah. scale. So Yeah. But no, shout out to Buck because like it seems like we're kinda go- I don't want to make it seem like we're going against Buck, but but he's an awesome manager and obviously he meant a lot to the Mets season and the Mets success, so he probably deserved it at the end of I the mean, day. Yeah. All time <laughs> manager, you win manager of the year four times and four different teams. Yeah. That's insane. So and then going to the American League, another guy who's kind of like the American League version of Buck Showalter in a way, a guy who's been respected around baseball, who we kind of who we talked about in the interview with uh, Brian Miles later on. But Terry Francona, that's another guy who's just so well respected around baseball. Took the Guardians, who had low expectations from like the media, fans, whatever. Winning the AL Central, leading leading that fun team, that really young team, it's incredible. I mean, yeah, you summed it up perfectly. Young team, no expectations, win the division, and then they don't lose the wild card either. Like the Rays aren't a slouch. Yeah, they won that series and then took the Yankees to the edge. So, yeah, yeah, no, hats off. Terry deserves it. Yeah, he's awesome. He's, like I've always said, even like when he was on the managing the Red Sox years ago, like I always liked him. He was He's just a very likable guy, it seems, and yeah, congratulations to him. He Was that his fourth, too? His third or fourth, I think? Mm, it's, I don't know. It's his third or fourth. I don't remember. I definitely should have known that. I feel bad that I don't know, but. uh, Third time. Okay, yep. okay. But still, that's incredible. Future Hall of Famer. And, um, all right, so Cy Young. I mean, this was just the most obvious picks of the all the categories. Yeah. Sandy and Justin Verlander, unanimous uh, winners. But we knew this since, like, the all-star break. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think if we look back at our uh, midseason awards, we had these two guys, and Mello had Tony Gonsolin, which was that was a respectable pick. It was yeah. a close second at the time. So, I mean, I I can I'm not gonna dog that pick because it was a good pick. But like you said, both unanimous. That's awesome. Sandy wins for the first time in Marlins history. Uh, Cy Young. So good for him. Verlander. I mean, still continuing his dominance. 
it's insane, but yeah. After coming back from like Tommy John surgery at this age, I doubt like no one really thought that he would get back to this form. Like it really was one of the best seasons of his career at what age 39. Like who else does that? Just shows that he's really one of the best pitchers of his generation, if not the best. There's an argument for him to be the best. It's probably, I, mean, I might say even, so. I don't think it's a stretch to say, like, in the realm of, like, greatest athletes of all time. Like, what you just said, three-time AL, or, yeah, three-time AL Cy Young winner. He won an MVP as a pitcher. Yeah. Not a lot of pitchers can say they've done that. Two-time World Series champion, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he's been there multiple times. Um how many time All Star? I don't even know because he's lot. been there so many times. <laughs> Started the All Star game multiple times, led the league in ERA, whatever. And now he just won again at 39, you said. So, like, people always harp on Tom Brady doing all this stuff at an old age, but like, pitching, I would say, is more difficult, like, physically difficult than being a quarterback, just throwing that many pitches every game. So, I think a case could be made. He's probably maybe top 50 athletes of all time. Wow. I think there could be an argument. You know what? Now that you say it, like, Long, I don't hate Longevity. I don't hate yeah. Yeah. And he's not done. He's going to exactly. get a day. He doesn't gonna... seem like he wants to hang it up. No. Yeah. Kate Upton was telling him to keep going. That's a difference between him and Brady. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, no. He's obviously going to get paid this offseason, and deservedly so. And I can't wait to see what he's going to do next year, probably the pitch the year after. If he keeps this up, I mean, why would he stop? Exactly. He just had his debatably best season ever. Yeah. Why would he stop now? Yeah. But, yeah, no, um, both Sandy Alcantara and... Justin Verlander, outstanding years. Like we said, we knew this since the All-Star break that they were probably going to win. And they were just like so clearly the best pitchers in their league. And exactly. Anything else before we move on to uh, MVP? I, I don't think so. I mean, I'll give a quick shout out to Aaron Nola. He finished yeah. fifth in NL Cy Young. Yeah. Uh, so he seems to get he gets votes typically when he has a good season. So maybe and he can. It sucks though. The next notch because like the Phillies defense, it, they picked it up. I feel like towards the end of the year, but their defense doesn't help the, those pitchers. Like if yeah. say if they had like I know the Cardinals have an amazing defense. If Nola was pitching with the Cardinals defense behind him, I like there's a chance he's like finishing top three. Yeah, I mean, it it helps, and it's somewhat his fault though because he, I've said it a couple times throughout the year, but like he has a good good game, bad game, good game, good game, bad game, bad game. So he wasn't on the same level as uh, some right. of these other pitchers. So right, exactly. But still, um, all right. So uh, MVP. You want to rush right to AL MVP? <laughs> no, we'll go to NL. Um, Paul Goldschmidt, shout out to Paul Goldschmidt, who finally got his MVP. He had three top three finishes before this. 
I think. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. That sounds right. Yeah. I mean, the guy has been so underrated. His years in Arizona, I feel like he was always overlooked, even though he was one of the most consistent players in baseball. 300 average, 30 home runs, it seemed, like almost every year. But then finally this year he gets his MVP. Um, so shout out to him. Machado finished second. Nolan finished in third. Any of those guys really could have gotten it, I think. Like those three had phenomenal seasons, but Goldschmidt was, I just think his uh, entire year, he was consistently like one of the best players in the National League. But um, yeah, no, good for Goldschmidt. He just seems like a great guy. And I'm glad to see him finally get the recognition he deserves. Yeah, exactly. He finished. So he finished second in 2013, second in 2015, and then third in 2017. So he's been right on the cusp of getting it so many times. And then, yeah, he deserves it. Great guy from what we've seen. So I'm not against it. This was the other one that was somewhat close. The other race. I mean, Machado, you could make a case for Machado. So yeah, 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 he had a great season. Like Machado and Arenado, like their defense, obviously Arenado, uh, gold glove, platinum glove. Machado obviously has gold glove defense too. So those guys are just incredible. But um, yeah, Goldie finally got it. And to the American League. <laughs> obviously, Aaron Judge got his MVP award that he, some people say he deserved back in 2017. But that's besides the point. He gets his MVP, obviously, after an historical year. I was kind of nervous. I wasn't sure if it was going to be a landslide. I could have seen, like, some people voting for Shohei. But it turned out Aaron Judge got 28 out of 30 first place votes. Incredible. I mean, we've talked about it so much, but it it's really cool just to be able to say that he's actually won the MVP. Yeah, and I think this this might give a little bit of a look into what we can expect the next couple of years because we've seen it now twice with Shohei. Vladdy Jr. had a great offensive season. Shohei, obviously pitching and hitting. I don't need to say that, but still. Did them both, and he won MVP. Now this year, Aaron Judge, absolute elite top-tier offensive season. Shohei Otani did the same thing. Probably a better pitcher this year, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Um, so still wasn't enough, though. So that looks like it's going to be the standard going forward that baseball writers are not full-on Shohei Otani uh, Yeah, like, what's fans, the bar? Whatever you want to say. But, yeah, like... I guess is this is this the bar though? Like, like a, do you have to break a record, a record to, yeah. <laughs> in order to beat Shohei Otani out? Yeah, I don't know. I, I again, we've talked about this so much. Whenever we bring up Shohei Otani, we're like, we don't know how to evaluate him or compare him to the other players. Like, whenever, whenever we bring him up we're like we don't know what to do because we've never seen anything like this before but Aaron Judge's 62 home runs obviously it's hard to um, like 
vote against that. His gold glove defense, which he didn't win a gold glove because he switched from different positions. But they were saying today he didn't make any errors in the outfield this year, Judge. He had zero errors on the season, which was incredible. But, um, yeah, no, I'm curious to see next year if someone's either going to break a record, Shohei keeps doing what he's doing, because I don't, I don't know what the bar is to beat Shohei Otani. Yeah, it's it's either incredibly high, or the writers are willing to flip flop back and forth, kind of based off of narrative. I don't yeah. know, but I don't know if you've looked yet. So I want to ask you this: Do you know who finished fifth in um, American League? Yeah, wasn't it uh, Andres Jimenez? Fifth. No, no, or he was sixth, maybe. That's what it was. He was he finished high. Was it who uh, Ramirez? Jose Ramirez. Who was fifth? Ramirez was fourth. Okay, who was fifth then? Jose Altuve. That's awesome. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, hit three hundred on the year and hit twenty eight bombs. Yeah, he was. I, I don't want to just summarize up a season like that, but just to keep it brief. So yeah, no, he. I remember when I was looking at the. Uh, end of the year, like the best players in the American League, he kind of had a very underrated season. Well, yeah. obviously not because the voters are aware of it. But I think from a fan <laughs> perspective throughout the entire year, like he was really one of the best players in the American League. And I'm glad they rewarded him with fifth, but he really he climbed up there. Yeah. And him, even a quick shout out to Jordan for uh, yeah having a Okay, probably a great offensive season comparing it to Vladdy Jr., but you're up against Shohei Otani and an absolutely elite offensive season. You're going to have to settle for third, buddy. So, yeah. In the uh, MLB Network thing tonight, when they were announcing the awards, Jordan wasn't even there. He didn't even, he wasn't even on the show. They were like, oh, Jordan can't I mean, join us. We're like, well, why would he? Because he knows. <laughs> exactly. It's just going to sit there and have to congratulate them anyway. So, Yeah. And they were talking. Like, I felt bad for him because they were talking the entire time. Like, is it going to be Judge or Shohei? Like, Jordan's a finalist, too. But obviously, it was between yeah. them. But it was just funny because they were just counting Jordan out. But um, since Melo's not here, he sent me a voice message to play about uh, the AL MVP voting. Okay. So. MLB, you made the obvious choice. Aaron Judge is your MVP. Should have been unanimous. <laughs> well, I I don't think I think he was probably mocking me and or Kyle there, but uh, yeah, that was his insight for the AL MVP race. I mean, if I was you or Kyle, I'd be like. You know what? You're right, Melo. Should have been should have been unanimous. I'm just glad that my guy won MVP. Now, uh, now you're just hoping that he stays in New York. Yeah, that's another story. But um, did you see that the two, the only two people to vote for Shohei to win MVP came out of LA slash Anaheim? Interesting. I did not see that. Yeah. But... Interesting, right? Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. But yeah, uh, 
anything else regarding any of the awards before we get into the interview? Um, I mean, not really, just shout out to all the guys who had a great season. I mean, and even if you didn't, if it, even if we didn't talk about you, I know you're not listening, but even if we didn't talk about you, there's plenty of guys who had great seasons Yeah, who uh, didn't finish top five or top ten, so. Exactly. Exactly. But it was, it's an awesome, it was a great season. He obviously, like, look at the guys who won Cy Young and MVP this year. Like, those guys dominated. Like, both MVPs, both Cy Youngs, it was just, and and the rookie of the years, like they're all superstars in this sport that kind of, for the most part, like bursted onto the scene this year. And it was really cool to see. Exactly. Yeah. Great for the game. Exactly. It was awesome. So let's get into the interview with Brian Miles. All right. Special guest here. Brian Miles, mental performance coach of the Cleveland Guardians. Welcome. Thanks for coming. So everybody, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. Of course. Yeah, so, I mean, we're going to get into some questions and stuff about your life in, in the Guardians clubhouse and the dugout, whatever. But first, so you've been there for eight, um, eight years in the organization. How do you even how talk about how you even got into the that this connection with Guardians? I guess uh, full transparency, kind of interesting to say it on a baseball podcast, but not really a baseball guy. Never been a baseball guy. Uh, I was a college soccer player, so um, I actually went to school in New Jersey at Montclair State University. Uh, played college soccer. Like most people who get into the mental performance space, was a failed athlete, obviously, who like you know, maybe had some uh, mental areas of improvement that he could have used. Um, and so, you know, I, uh, I went to undergrad for, I got my bachelor's in psych and then went to grad school. I uh, went to Springfield College in Massachusetts, got my master's in counseling psychology with a concentration in athletics. Um, and then, you know, dad had, like most people just had like no clue what I wanted to do when I grew up. So um, I actually ended up working for the military for about three and a half years sort of doing performance psychology, mental performance skills with soldiers, you know, before, during, after combat operations, like helping prepare them for whatever, whether they're going to deploy or if they're going to go to ranger school or go to some sort of like um, course or something like that. So I think I, I started to recognize that the the cognitive side of performance is like the difference between really like the elite and the average and, um, you know, had an awesome time training soldiers and working with that population. And, you know, like, there's no like, I mean, the story really is I did actually just get like a random phone call from somebody and they were like, hey, would you be interested in interviewing with like at that time, the Cleveland Indians? Um, you know, and that that process, like I said, it was it was never something I was I was really interested in getting into. But but as I've obviously spent a lot of time in baseball, it's it's just such a fascinating sport because of the pace of it, because of like the components that are it's like such a mental sport because of how. Um, at times it can be slow next year. It'll probably be faster, but, um, it's, it's slow. And so there's a lot of time for the individuals to really think about, um, what's going on so that their mind can either be a hindrance or it can be a helper. And I think that as we've looked at like the mental performance department and program at the guardians, I think we're putting a lot of emphasis on like, how can this thing between our ears be the thing that is the difference maker? Um, you like, 
everyone talks about it, right? You can go on Twitter and find any, any, like, you know, you can find any player in their post-game interview or an interview where it's like somehow, some way, something mental comes up. Um, and I think what happens is a lot of, a lot of people just think like, oh, they, they just, they're like that. They have that. What they don't know is that a lot of these guys are training that just as much as they're training their muscles or they're training their, you know, hand-eye coordination or whatever it is, their defense, offense, all that kind of stuff. And I, I think that's the, the exciting part. So yeah, I've been with the, the guardians for about eight seasons. I've done everything from being a minor league mental performance coach. I was our coordinator of mental performance in the minor leagues for a couple of years. And I've been with the major league team for the past three years. Uh, my first year is 2020. So that was always interesting. And, um, you know, these, these past three years in the major league team have been a blast and just, you know, trying to learn and, and help and, and support and, and be part of the team as best I can. Yeah. I mean, it's, I like how you said like baseball, you fail so much in baseball that it's, in, you have to be so strong mentally to really like be okay with that. And like, I know everyone always says you fail seven out of 10 times, whatever, but like, it's crazy to actually think about how much you fail throughout the course of the whole 162 game season. You have shitty games here, you go on slump and you just have to grind through it with the amount of failure plus the longevity of the baseball season. Like as a fan, it's a lot. Like I can't even imagine what it would be like as a player or someone going through that constantly. Yeah, I mean, I think the so there's like the, the downfall of baseball or the difficulty, right? Is like you play 162 games in like 180 something days, right? And it's like you do fail a lot. On the good side, though, you play every day. So it's like if if today was pretty rough, like you know you're gonna go out and play tomorrow. Um, but I, I think I have probably seen that, you know, some of the best players just have incredible perspective. I think they really recognize that like their ability to let go of the past is probably like one of the most profound things that they're capable of doing. They're like super good about being in the present moment. They, you know, they, they, they don't let the idea that I struck out my first at bat impact their second, third, fourth at bat. There are a lot of people that do. And I, you know, it's one of the most difficult things to be in the present moment, mostly just because it's like everything pulls us into the past and the future. You know, it's like, everything, everything is designed to pull us into the past and future social media, like, like everything is taught, like putting your statistics up on the board, right. Pulls you into the past or pulls you into the future being like, if I get this many hits, my average will turn to whatever, you know? So it's like constantly pulling us away from being where our feet are. And I think that's what we see is like the best players have incredible perspective to be like, I am going to be like the most insanely diligent present person in the world. And I'm going to train that and I'm going to focus on that. And it's like, I am, I am going to recognize that like, I can't change the past and I can't predict the future, but like I can influence right here, right now. And I think that's what we see. Um, but man, is it hard? And it's like, you know, you got to train that it's, you have to train that from, from the moment you get drafted, you should be training that from like, well before that, if you can, I think that's a cool thing is mental performance. It's not just a major league baseball thing anymore. It's seeping into college. It's seeping into high school to youth athletics, which I think is, is awesome. Yeah, and once they start it earlier, it won't even like once they get once athletes get to the professional level, it, it'll be not second nature, but it'll be something that they're aware of and they don't have to work on anymore. But no, that's definitely interesting. Um, so one thing that I wanted to bring up. So obviously, how would you say your relationship with players is different if it is different than like the manager player relationship? 
Um, that's a, that's a great it, question. Well, I just, you know, I think, I think every manager in baseball is different. And I think this isn't, you know, this, this isn't just yeah. like a major league thing. I think minor league managers have their own challenges as well. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, I think that the relationships are the most important thing. Um, I think in my job, but I also think across baseball, I think like relationships matter for athletic trainers, strength coaches, sports scientists, nutritionists, like hitting coaches, pitching coaches. And, and so for me, I've always believed that like connection is the glue to relationships. And that I think like relationships is the glue to psychological safety. And like, in my opinion, psychological safety is like what builds winning longevity, like all of that stuff. And so, um, I've always tried to emphasize and connect with players on just like a connection level of just like, I'm here to support you and help you. And I think as you get higher up in, in, in like the areas of baseball, you know, as you start to like move your way up the organization and and then you get to the big leagues, it's like, it can feel sometimes like people want stuff from you or it can feel like people are always like, you know, checking and like what's going on. And it, it can feel like sometimes people just aren't there for you that's probably the most important thing, um, you know, in how I establish and build relationships. It's like, it's not about me and it's never going to be about me. And it's just always about you. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm there, I'm, I'm there every day. I'm going to try to be the same guy, no matter what, I'm going to try not to be too high, not too low, just like the same dude. And I, I think that's something that the players can expect from me. And there's, you don't get that a lot, I think in your life or just like in this, in this, you know, professional sports world. So just trying to be the same dude every single day is really what I try to look for in the relationships that I build with athletes. Like I said, every manager is different. There's some managers that are like players managers where they're like, you know, eating with them and chilling with them. There's some that, you know, are maybe a little bit more distant. And, you know, I, again, I can't speak to, to like other teams or anything like that. I've seen, you know, I've seen some great managers coming up through the minor leagues in our, in our player development system, some unbelievable ones who, you know, some of them are now at different teams doing different things, but, um, and obviously like our manager and, and Terry Francona is like the absolute best. He just won AL manager of the year. Um, there's a reason that he does and, and, and that he won that. And it's just, it's because he cares, man. He like genuinely cares. And I think he gets the most out of his players um, because again, for someone like him, it's not about him. And, 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 and that's like, that's so sick for like somebody who's as badass as he is. It's like, there's no ego and there's no egos really in our org or in our, in our clubhouse. And that, that's what I think makes everyone, you know, want to play for each other. Yeah. That's good. So transitioning from your relationship with the player and how that works, obviously we know baseball players and professional athletes in general, they're creatures of habit. I'm sure a lot of them like doing the same thing every single day. So what's your routine from the time you get to the ballpark and when the game happens and stuff? Well, first of all, thank you for using the word routine. Uh, You know, I I felt when I first got into mental performance, it was all like, oh, my superstition, I got to do this or my ritual or whatever. It's like, yeah, man, routines, routines are controllable. And that's what I dig. It's like, they're not rigid. There's some flexibility there. Superstitions are super rigid. There's no flexibility. And that's why superstitions low key aren't it, but routines are routines are it. And our players are super routine focused. Um, but you know, mine is, I, uh, I mean, I, I usually feel like a seven o'clock game. I think I'll usually get there around like, I don't know, 1230 or so. Um, we have some meetings that I go to, you know, part of a performance team. So I connect with like our strength coach, our athletic trainers, um, our nutritionists, 
um, our sports scientists. So we're kind of all one team really looking at the athletes sort of as a holistic human, like how we can best support them in their performance. So I have some meetings here and there. Um, and then, you know, I try to get some food, maybe, maybe crush some emails here and there, but, um, then my job is just to be around the coaches and the players. So as much as I spend time with the players, I spend a lot of time with the coaching staff too, mostly just cause like our coaches spend a lot of time with the players and, um, well, our coaches spend more time with the players than I ever will. And I think that being able to support coaching staff just as much as you support players is, is hugely important. Uh, you know, being able to understand that, you know, if a coach has a better relationship with a player than you do, like working through the coaching staff is a phenomenal way to do this job. Um, you know, and just letting them sort of be, um, like a conduit of mental performance is great. So spend a lot of time with our coaches my, my, uh, my lockers in the coaches locker room. So usually go in there, mess around, uh, you know, drink some coffee, talk about just, you know, it, that's probably the coolest part is like, you don't really know what the day is going to hold. You go in there and like, depends on like what guys are talking about, but I've like, like I told you, I'm not really a baseball guy. I just, I mean, I've watched it. Like I played when I was in like middle school and stuff, but the, like, the time in the minor leagues when I was working as a mental performance coach in the minor leagues and then like as a coordinator, I learned a lot and I really started to understand, I think the game a little bit the past, like two years specifically, like, like post COVID, I mean, my God, man, just the, the knowledge that I absorb from our coaching staff is absolutely insane. Like insane. Um, like, I mean, Sandy Alomar is just like, it is ungodly, like his knowledge base on baseball and just not even that, but like his willingness to share with me to help me understand um, is, is like so cool. So that's why, you know, I spend a lot of time with our, our coaches, spend a lot of time with our players. I can, um, you know, play a little chess here and there every once in a while, you know, dominate somebody in something, and, you know, just to let them know, just let them know. I still got Keep it. Humble. Keep them humble. You know, there's a lot of guys who think they're pretty good at FIFA in our clubhouse. And I got to really <laughs> like, all right, boys, like, come on, relax. Um, so, you know, spend time with guys. And then, you know, once we get on the field, I, I try to go out there and help out too. So um, I'm out for batting practice. I, 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 I joked around with like Miles Straw and some of those guys that I was our assistant outfield coach. Cause I would go and like help our outfield coach, Kyle Hudson, like whatever, like I would just catch the balls or I'd flip balls to him that he would hit and stuff. So I likened that I was an outfield guy. Um, you know, go shag BP, show the guys that like, you know, you, you can learn something new if you like kind of actually get after it. And um, they'll all tell you in 2021, it was pretty ugly watching me shag batting practice out there, but I like to think I've gotten a little bit better. And so, um, you know, when practice and stuff is over, head inside, eat, um, you know, again, spend some time with the guys and, and uh, the coaching staff, you know, FaceTime my family and my wife and stuff. And then when the game starts, get in the dugout, watch the game, try taking as much information as I can support guys as they need if guys aren't playing it's usually a good time to catch up with them chat um but yeah man then game's over maybe drink a beer and then uh head home and <laughs> do it all over again man so it's uh it's it's long it's a lot but it's um like i said it's, it's built on the foundation of connection and it's like it's a it's a super cool role and, and an awesome opportunity that's for sure that's awesome that's so cool. You just covered what you did throughout the whole season, but now obviously the baseball season's over. So what's the off season look like for you? Some people might say it's not as cool as the baseball season. I think it's very cool, but I am a full-time dad. So I've, uh, I've got a three and a half year old daughter, Marlo. I've got a uh, 14 month old son, Mac. Uh, I got an amazing wife, Megan. And 
I, you know, I, you guys kind of heard about my schedule. So you can imagine that during the season, it's, I, I get to spend maybe the mornings with the kids when I'm at home and I'm on the road, obviously. So I don't get to spend as much time with my family. So I, I do quite a bit of catch up. Um, I, I try to like really engage as a father, do as much as I can support my wife and help out because I haven't been around a lot to help out, do quite a bit of projects that I had planned to do during the, the, uh, during the season that end up not getting done. But, you know, I, I try to, you know, I think also for me too, it's like, there's one the decompression part, just like, I think like, like coaches and players, it's like, you want to decompress. Um, it's an awesome opportunity for me to, um, sort of like re-engage within the field of sport and performance psychology too. So I go to some conferences, um, try to like catch up on, on like the research or just like read up on new stuff, maybe develop new curriculum, new stories, whatever it might be. Um, and then, you know, I, I mean, I'll, I'll obviously like touch base with our coaches and our players a little bit. I think, um, you know, our players want to be left alone a little bit. Our coaches want to be left alone a little bit, but as we get closer to spring training, it's, it is a little bit of that switch of the mindset of like, all right, how are we going to slightly start to re-engage like the mind and performance and stuff. And there's an opportunity for that as well. So it's, um, you know, it's short though. <laughs> That's like the thing is like, I mean, what, it's already November 16th right now. It's like, dude, we go to like spring training, like February 13th. That's so soon from now. So I think you just really, you really do try to, to, to relax a little bit, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still fun to, it, it's weird. Like you, you like, you're so excited for it to be over, just like rest and recover, but then you like oddly start to miss the like chaos of your life. It's, it goes from like such a high speed to like slightly a lower speed that it, it kind of throws you for a little bit of a fog loop a little bit, but no, it's, it's been good. Yeah. I mean, it is good to like get away from it. I'm sure for a little bit, like you said, just to get a break from the grind for a little bit and actually be with your family. I'm sure that's nice. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. My family, my family rules. So they're, they're, (laughs) they're killing it, but yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah. So going back to a a little bit, what we're talking about before the man, your manager, Terry Francona, what's it like being around a guy that's, like he's going to be a future hall. He's a future hall of famer. Like, do you have any stories or anything just like being around him, like constantly all year long, just, he's just so well-respected around the sport, obviously multiple manager of the years, anything, any stories just about how cool of a guy he is or awesome. Oh, and he is a very cool guy. I'll, I'll <laughs> give you that. Um, I just think this, I mean, so just like overall, I think so he's not like it's not like just talk with him like he he emphasized you know like it's spring training a lot of times like he you know we have our team meeting and and I love it because he's like listen 29 other teams are having their team meeting today right and he's like and maybe maybe we're saying some similar things but he talks about like what we have to do as an organization as a team that's different than all the other 29 teams and it is different because of like whether it's payroll or where we are as a team or whatever it is he's like he's like you know this is what we have to do differently and then but my favorite thing he says is like, like, you know, nobody's going to feel bad for you guys. Like he's like, and, and you shouldn't feel bad for yourself. Like he really lays out what it's supposed to look like. And, and then he like reinforces those behaviors. And it's not, again, it's not just for show. Like he follows through on the behaviors he expects from his coaching staff, his support staff, and from the players. And um, I think that's like one of the best things I will say, like another thing that shows exactly who he is, like, this is, I think this is great is um, I think think i don't want to mess this up but i think it was the off day before we started the wild card um and you know we had like a workout or whatever and i think we had a team meeting 
And, you know, we thought it was going to be just like the standard, uh, you know, like, hey, like, let's go. Here we go. You know, playoffs, like, let's get it. Um, and instead, he asked everyone to come in and he presented, I think, Oscar Gonzalez with his diploma. He had just gotten his diploma. And like, again, it was like, like, it was just so awesome to watch, like the manager recognizing something like that. You know, we're about to go into like this huge series. We'd just done so much successful stuff and on the field, but like he valued that, like that was so valuable for Oscar. And it was like so sick that he did it in a way where everyone got to celebrate with him. Um, and I, again, that like, I think shows one, like who he is as a manager, but two, like the values in action, right. It's like, not just saying it, he does stuff about it. He like follows through the behaviors and that, that is very, very cool. Um, and, and I think some of that we, we absolutely support and love and, um, you know, it's just, it's such a fun, uh, team to be around, but it's like such a great leader to be around somebody who not only supports our players and our staff, but like he does support the mental game. And I think that it's just, it's really awesome to be a part of. That's awesome. Um, so, um, what do you call it this season? I guess, I mean, it's fair to say that the guardians had lower ex. there were lower expectations for the team going into the season probably not to win the division and make it to the postseason. But then once they, once you guys like finally turned it around and like kind of won the division, obviously, like, what is it like? I'm like, we had said before, the team looks like they have fun. Like that's a fun team. All the players, I'm sure the coaching staff too. What is it like to being in that environment to where they're kind of doubted but then the players are obviously overperform, not overperforming, but um, you know what I mean. <laughs> Getting, <laughs> playing much better than everyone expected them to be. So, like, what was it kind of this year where they kind of proved everyone wrong? Was there like a different vibe in the clubhouse or in the dugout stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I do want to say everyone thought that we were gonna perform at a certain level. I would say that within our confines and our walls, we didn't obviously believe that i don't think you can believe that and perform the way that we did um which again starts with our our manager and our coaching staff i think and the players for sure um the vibe though man like just i mean it was good vibes like i don't know you know there's no like there's no magic or secret sauce but what i can tell you is the boys liked each other and like they enjoyed hanging out um man we had like a basketball hoop set up in there um, we had players kicking each other's butt in Mario Kart. We have ping pong table with us. A bunch of the dudes got super into chess this year and just like competed against each other in chess. In fact, like some of our, some of our guys connected with a local high school that has a chess team. It's like one of the nationally ranked chess teams in Cleveland. And they would like, I think it was on like Sunday mornings, whenever we had day games, they would come and come in early and play against each other. So some of our players would play against his chess team. It was absolutely awesome. Um, but like they, they just liked me around each other. I think you know, some of the guys mentioned it in like post-game interviews, but in a lot of teams, like when the game's over, everyone rushes out of there and just gets, gets showered, gets out and goes. It's like, you could come in like 25, 30 minutes after a game and like half the dudes haven't changed yet. They're like shooting hoops or playing cards. Um, you know, they just really enjoyed being around for like around each other. I think they supported each other. And I think the biggest thing too, is like, you know, we had like 17 rookie day de- rookies debut yeah. this year. And like in order for those players, players to be as successful as they were and a lot of them were very successful like when you come into a clubhouse or or you come into like a major league environment like you 
you have to feel comfortable. And I think that, you know, when, when somebody feels like they're, they belong, it's like all that tension that you would normally feel all of a sudden is just like loosened up. And then like that player can go and do what they do on the field because they don't feel that other there's, there's of course tension in your major debut. There's all those things, but like the fact that it's not coming from the clubhouse or from those teammates or whatever, it's like all those guys welcome them. And it's like, they all shared the knowledge that like the other rookies shared the knowledge that they learned from some of the veterans and, and vice versa. Um, and so that environment and that sort of um, that engagement from those guys was like super cool. But um, you know, it was just, it was, it was a fun place to be. And listen, we didn't like, you know, we had, we had rough patches too. We had some, some rough, like rough, like stretches there. Um, but I think there was just like, was always this, this belief. And it was like, it started with like, you know, we had some comeback wins, some big ones, you know, like we scored six runs in the ninth inning against the White Sox. Like, yeah, I was, you know, we had like, we had the some Josh Naylor game, right? Yeah. That yeah. It's like, we had some of those moments where the boys were like, dude, we are literally not out of a game at all. And they're like, there's something sneaky dangerous when you get a whole group of dudes who believe like we are never out of a game. It, uh, it, it's like, it's really fun to be a part of it's, and it almost becomes like this contagious, like, oh, you're, we're only down two in the ninth. We're like, we're definitely going to come back and win this game, which we did a couple of times. And it's just like, it's like a fun thing to build on. Um, and so again, it just, uh, it was a really great group of guys that really wanted to be there for each other. And I know that's like, it, I know it's not like that everywhere. And, um, and again, I, I can't tell you exactly what it was that allowed us to do it, but I think that the fact that our players were selfless is probably why we were so successful this year. And um, in a in a in a professional sports environment, not just baseball, where 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 sometimes like playing for yourself is is what's valued. Um, I think that was the complete opposite in our organization this year. That's awesome. Obviously, you just said it right now. The guys love being around each other every day. A lot of young kids made their debuts. Those road trips must have been so fun. When you, so I'm asking you, what was your favorite city to go to? Oh man! Road? All right. So I mean, I'm I'm from Connecticut. I obviously live in Cleveland now. So like going to Boston, any chance I can is like just the best. Mostly just for the food. Like I was crushing clam chowder. Like the clubbies over there, absolutely incredible. They had lobster rolls, like it was phenomenal. But I will say, like my favorite trip that we probably took, it was when we went to San Diego. We had an off day in San Diego. Like who doesn't love San Diego? Actually, it was it was the one trip that my wife came came with me. Like my my parents came watch the kids, so my wife was able to come on that trip. We went to San Diego and Seattle, off day in San Diego, like fish tacos, like the whole thing, the weather, just it was it was perfect. And so I, you know, I love San Diego. I think it's awesome, but. Um, you know, I, I gotta give a shout out to Boston too, just because I'm, I'm a new Englander at heart. I'll never forget it. I was crushing Dunkin' Donuts. Like I was doing it all, man. I was doing, I was doing all the things. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, um, to be able to, to, to kind of get closer to home and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm stoked too, cause like in the next two years, within the next two years, um, you'll go to every city, you know, yeah. with the new, with the new, new schedule. So it's like, it's pretty sick that you get to do that now. Um, and and I'm, I'm super excited about that. Uh, you said uh, you said you loved San Diego and Seattle. Uh, where does Los Angeles fall under this list? 
He lives in Los Angeles. If he I, I, listen, I see the Dodger thing in the back. <laughs> Thank right you. Here, bro. It's okay. You can be honest. No, it's like, it's weird. Cause like, you, you know, too much traffic. Play, I get it. Yeah. Way too much traffic. When we go to Dodger stadium, it's like, you like stay in kind of this random spot too. It's like, you know, you're not like, I, I listen, I Dodger stadium was pretty like, okay, I I'll, here, I'll give Dodger stadium a number one out of something. And when it comes to stadiums that in terms of like, uh, like the music that's played and, and like, in terms of like the veracity of which that music hits you in the chest, Dodger stadium has their like speakers in the dead center. And it literally shakes your chest when they play music. Like it, it like moves and vibrates your body. I've never, ever, ever been anywhere that does it like that. And their music was low key kind of dope. It felt like a part like that in Fenway Park. It's like it felt like a party. I'm like, this is pretty wild. But the like the the veracity of the of the speakers, I was like, holy crap, man, this is like our poor center fielders and right field and left field. I'm like, those guys are gonna be deaf by the time this like gets over. It's so loud. But that's what that's all give Dodger Stadium right there. And the Dodger dog was pretty damn good, too. Wow. OK, usually a lot of people don't like it. So I, mean, I give you a lot of credit for that. We'll give them some love. So that's what you yeah. get. I like. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm at Dodger State. I work there every day. So I guess I come accustomed to the loud ass speakers in center field. But yeah, I do notice that when some teams come in, they're like, holy shit. Yeah. They got to turn that down a little bit. It'll, it'll get you, man. But it's all, they play like bangers too. Like they play really good music during BP. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I told some of the guys, I'm like, hey, man, like, take some notes on some of these songs, man. Like, let's go. They're playing some older music. This is kind of nice, but the, the boys don't vibe with that. So it's all good. Um, Matt, you have anything or no? Yeah, I got one more. And I guess it's more of a serious tone. It would have fit in a little bit better earlier. But uh, obviously, it's pretty big difference between pitchers and uh, position players hitting wise. Um so what what is the difference there between when you're talking to them in terms of things that a pitcher might struggle with more as compared to things a position player might struggle with more? Um, you know, I I so I do think like pitchers pitchers like have a little bit more control, right? Like they control uh, some might say the tempo of the game. Like I said, that might actually change next year. But um, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it was like like for for pitchers. You can see when when they start to speed up a little bit. So like for them, it's really about like slowing the game down. Like how can we help them slow down? Um, it's almost like hey, when I've when I've lost control, like then I don't mean like like control in terms of like their command or anything like that. But like if I've emotionally lost control, which happens, right? You throw a pitch that you think a strike, umpire calls it a ball, and the next pitch, you know, whatever should have been strike three, but strike two, and then the next pitch is like a home run, right? It's like emotionally, it's like your ability to let go of that and to be able to like commit to the next pitch. I forgot, uh, I forgot who told me this. Somebody told me so a few years ago, they told me that like the best pitchers give up runs, but they only give up like a solo home run. And they're like, they're like, that's like the difference between you see, like when you see like an excellent pitcher versus like an average pitcher versus like a below average pitcher is like somebody gives, you're getting up a run. Right. So it happens in baseball as a pitcher, but like, the best pitchers are able to actually like let that go. Like they accept that it happens. They don't like it, but they accept that it happens and they like recommit to their process. So that's only one run. And he's like, you, you watch other pitchers that struggle. And it's like, they give up one, but they, they, they don't regain control emotionally of themselves. And it's like, then it's two, right. Then it's the big inning. And then it's, you know, and then you don't keep your, your team in the game. And so I think that's a big thing for pitchers. I think for, for hitters, um, 
it kind of, again, it comes back to that present moment thing, but I think uh, like a fun concept that we've worked with uh, is, is this idea. It's, it's actually, uh, this comes a little bit from golf, um, which, you know, has like nodes of hitting as well, just in terms of like the cognitive component to it. But it's about like think box, play box is what we call it. Um, and it's, it's so it's like, and it's fun because there's, they actually play in a real box. So it's like kind of dope and it works out pretty well. But like, there's like the time in between pitches, right? And it's, that's their think box, right? So like during that time, you're not in the batter's box, right? Like you, you have one foot out or you're at completely out of the box. And it's like, that's like your think time. Like you're allowed to think during that time. So you can think about, you know, what just happened, whether it's you swung through a strike or it was a ball or, or whatever. You get to think during that time. Then you think about your approach and what you're going to do and so on. But then there's like this decision line and the decision line is where the batter's box is, right? And the second you cross that decision line, it's the play box. And the play box, it's all about execution. There's no more thinking it's do. It's the do box. Like you do there. You don't think, you just execute. You let yourself just do it. Whatever it is, you just like fundamentally allow yourself just to be in that moment and let it go. And what happens is, is that, and like, it's just interesting because like I I always, uh, I don't want to go like on a tangent here, but there's like, there's times when I watch a game where a pitcher has like, a long hold like there's a guy on base something like that and they hold it for a really long time and i'm saying in my head to the hitter call time right because i'm like this is making me uncomfortable but they're not calling time but the pitcher's holding it he's not stepping off the hitter's not and i'm like it's this weird tension where you're like dude just call time like this is making me uncomfortable right like it's too long and the, the reason i think like that sometimes is because i'm like you know, when it comes time to do, like you don't want to think. So if you're in there for a really long time, there's a chance that you could think, right? And so like the most disciplined players, the most disciplined hitters are so comfortable with themselves and disciplined with themselves that if they've lost, like if they start to think again, they call time and they, they so-called step back over the decision line into the think box, allow themselves to do what they need to do. Then they step back into the play box. And I think like the idea of separating it into those two things where you give yourself the physical space, right? Like this is the box where I fucking do. Sorry, I don't know if I want to swear, my bad. Um, this is the box where I do, <laughs> right? Good. Like I do this here. Like this is where I execute. Like it's automatic for me. It's just like, it's like memory. I just, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to see ball, hit ball, like that kind of thing versus being up there. And you're just like, okay, like what pitch is coming? Like, what, you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's like, dude, you, you, you can't execute when you're, when you're thinking like that. And so um, that, like, those are some of the things that we've worked through. Like, I think on the pitching side and, and, and don't around, there's like a think box play box. You can call it for, for pitchers too, but it's, um, it's just such a fascinating sport, you know? And like that, I mean, I love that question, Matt, because it's, you know, everyone's individual, like the way that they think about these things, the way that they do it. Um, but man, it's like, the players that can just be really present and just like flush the things they need to flush and just be in the moment and like, and know that their training is what's gotten them there. And like, and just, again, like their perspective on all of it, they're, they're the ones that are typically really successful. It's, I was going to say, I'm kind of just said it, but it's weird how it's weird to think about how so many different players like approach things or so different, like things may work for this person and it will, not work at all for the next person and it's I'm sure that's the struggle for you to find what works for each player like how to I guess calm them down or get them to like relax in the uh, present moment whatever so I'm sure that's a struggle for you figuring out basically breaking down each player yeah I mean again it's 
you know, so one, do you have a relationship with them? And if I don't have a relationship with them, it's like, who does, right? So if, if the hitting coach has a relationship with the player, then it's like, how can I support the hitting coach to support the player? Um, and, uh, and I think too, like, it's, I think the emphasis always is like, like, we're not out there, right? Like, I can't, I can't say something special to make you feel better. And like, and no offense, the pitching coach and the hitting coach isn't going to come out there and say something, you know, special to me. It's like, you, you own that space, right? Like you own sort of like, well, like a lot of times we'll call it like your three foot world. Like you own your three foot world. Like only you control that space. And so again, the encouragement is like, what can you touch, manage, influence, and control in that three foot world? And like, when you really dig into one, how, how, like how close three feet by three feet is, it's like really small. But two, when you choose to like give your energy, effort, and intent to those things, to like what you can really touch, manage, control, you realize it's not a lot, right? Like there's not a lot of stuff in there. And it's like, once you accept that your life wildly becomes very freeing. It becomes like, way more free because you're just like, I'm not going to give my, my, like your energy is your most precious resource and commodity. You're like, I'm not going to give it to that shit. I'm not going to give it to things that I can't control. I'm not going to give it to people who don't deserve my energy, effort, intent. I'm going to give it to people and to things that like fill my cup, that make me better, that make me want to be better. And it's like, once you do that, it's incredibly freeing. And I think like, listen, I think the older you get as a person and just like the more life experience stuff, you start to see that. But like, I do think that some of the most successful young people, whether that's in business or in entrepreneurship or in school or in like, or, or in sports, they are really, really good. And they're really selfish about their attention. They're really selfish about their circle and they audit their circle of people that they spend time with a lot. And they are really selfish with their energy. And I think that those are by far the best performers. Awesome. You guys have anything else or no? mellow anything i i got one last one just okay uh your favorite memory of the 2022 season was oh god on man. the spot put him on the spot all right i mean it's it's got to be the 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 walk-off home run by oscar gonzalez to go to the alds i mean it was like that was electric it i like borderline lost like control of like my brain my like emotions my functioning i have like you know in the playoffs it's just like so everything is so tense every pitch it just like it feels very tense the like release of that tension after 15 innings it was like pretty gnarly man the next day i like woke up and like i like couldn't really talk like my voice was super hoarse but it's funny it's like it wasn't like yelling a ton or anything like that it's just like i think it like actually just took a toll on me um but man, that like that stadium, our fans, I mean, I got to like just give it, give it up to Cleveland. They showed out and it was, I mean, it was electric, um, you know, and Hey, like, you know, MLB wanted to give us the 12 PM no, game, not giving, not giving us any love. You know what we said? We said, screw it. We're just going to play it till freaking five o'clock and, and just make that, that primetime game. So we're good with that. But uh, it, dude, it was it was really cool. And just like, you know, I mean, I've seen, I've seen Oscar kind of come through the minor leagues and just like to watch him blossom into the guy that he is, there's like nothing more rewarding because he, he works his ass off. And I'm like, I'm super stoked that, that he was able to show kind of like baseball in the world a little bit about that. So it was, it was super cool. And that wasn't the only time he came up big in the post. He, he walked off against the Yankees too, he right? He did. He did. Yeah. Was... You remember that game, Bobby, right? <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Yeah. yeah sure, <laughs> sure do, man. Sure do. So that no, was cool. No, that's yeah. awesome. 
Yeah, um, well. Real quick before we end it, obviously, you know our uh, friend Ryan LaVarnway. I any, do know. Uh, any embarrassing stories you want to share or anything? <laughs> I don't want to blow up LaVarnway at all. I Listen, I... I've always been interested in his yellow bats and just like cognitively, maybe what that does for him. Um, and again, I don't know if LaVarnaway was involved in this or not. I can't remember. Cause it was, I think it was 2021. It was 2021, but I can't remember in spring training if LaVarnaway told me he could beat me in a race or not. And I, I remember it was after I watched him hit a double and I was like, I don't know if he could beat me, but I, I also know that if I say that out loud, I'm going to end up having to race him and I don't want to do that. So, you know, we'll just say that, but I can tell you an absolutely incredible human being and, uh, and an even more incredible teammate. So the guy's the absolute goat. And uh, I love that he's been on your guys' podcast a couple of times. Yeah, of course. Yeah. He's awesome. Um, yeah. And I think that's it. We'll wrap it up there. Thanks for coming on. Awesome. This was fun. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Brian. Hopefully we'll, we'll get to talk again and have you on some point, maybe next season. Appreciate it, guys. Thank of you. Of course. I'll see you. Thanks.